passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is up next, and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid. I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral, fire rate, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around. We are live. It is John Pollock and Brandon Thurston, who is joining us from the Super Bowl contending home of the Buffalo Bills, who have made it one step closer. I'm sure that uh, Bills Nation is in full effect, victorious over the Pittsburgh Steelers, a rare Monday late afternoon game that you were privy to. Yes, and now it is official. Taylor Swift will be coming to Buffalo, New York. Uh, She has avoided it this long. It's not held a concert here in this, I, I would say, city, but let's be honest. It's going to be an Orchard Park, which is a, a southern suburb of, of Buffalo. Um, but a, a very Buffalo time is, is still underway. As as, as you know, the, the game was postponed, but even worse weather, I, I would say, is, is hitting now, at least where I am. Wow. So Taylor Swift has never done a show in Buffalo. Is there... I mean, I don't, I don't want to like pat ourselves on the back that I think we're getting six Taylor Swift shows here in Toronto later this year, but uh, a very hot ticket in, in town, I understand. Yes. Well, well Buffalo is a, is a city very much in decline, um, and Toronto still has lots of people in the area, so I think that's why you're getting it. Well, hey, we're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. I can predict that. Are you on Are you on the bandwagon? Is is this the time where you start to think, man, what if? Could, could the Bills do it? Yeah, I like there was definitely a time where the off the offense was was falling apart and they fired their offensive coordinator, the guy who was uh, slamming the binders and whatnot. Um and it it feels like they're on a good roll, right? And we're seeing the Philadelphia Eagles self-destruct. Um it's time for Patrick Mahomes to to come to Buffalo and whine and cry on the sideline throughout oh, the game wow. on Sunday or whatever day it's taking place on. Uh and and we'll see j- just how sad Taylor Swift is when the Buffalo Bills defeat the Kansas City Chiefs. Man, Brandon is not screwing around here. Yes, we've got, oh, it's a Sunday night game. Bills and Chiefs, night. Okay, 6.30 Eastern this coming Sunday. I'm all in for the Bills. I'm, I'm going to, that, that that's my team. I'm picking them officially. Yeah. And I, I've seen uh, some of our colleagues be kind of negative towards the Bills lately, and, and uh, I won't name any names. Oh, but, go ahead. Um, uh, certain uh, Kansas City Bengals fans out there, I think, and, and I'm, I'm in, that that's not a lot on my timeline. I just want to say that. Well, that's that's what the block button is, is for, I guess. When when there's a slander against your, your home team, well, 
There you have it. I'm sure the, the NFL will uh, will come up a little later on. We're going to be joined by Josh Nason, a returning guest from the Wrestling Observer website. So we will be going over a bunch of items with Josh. Always great to uh, to pick his brain. And I think we'll probably continue some of our ESPN discourse because, man, as soon as we, we kind of uh, put down the gauntlet and dissected the Pat McAfee situation, the drama at ESPN, Boom. Our our show drops. And then Stephen A is thinking, you know what? Oh, yes. Pat McAfee is getting just a few too many headlines here. What what can I do? What is a several year old grudge that I could dig up and really bury somebody? And thus the Jason Whitlock promo came out later that night. Stephen A thought, well, hey, if Pat McAfee's got a ticket to stay what he wants, I sure do then, too. So he he dropped a, a pretty amazing promo. I've only listened to it with somebody inserted like a rap they, beat in the background yeah they put they, they put ether <laughs> be, behind it which was great i mean it was just it was made for memes. the funny part is i watched it where it was like a three minute chunk and i thought this was like the extent of it i didn't realize this was like a 45 minute takedown of jason whitlock i have not gotten through the entire thing but that three minutes i mean it is the man is a the man is gifted with his vocabulary and uh when it comes to just the emphasis on on certain words, I mean, it was it was quite the takedown, and th- there was no way I was going to listen to Jason Whitlock's re- rebuttal, but entertaining I, nonetheless. I, I used to remember p- people used to say the wrestlers should really be studying the promos that are being cut right now at UFC. You you've just come from a UFC media event. Um, p- people need to study that Stephen A. Smith promo, and there, there, I think there are a lot of things that could be taken from it and could be put into a, a pro wrestling promo, which basically that that was a pro wrestling promo. You could go a lot worse than your inspiration as a promo being Stephen A. Smith. Uh, But maybe we'll chat a bit about that uh, with Josh. Where I wanted to start things are uh, a topic that has come up multiple times over the past year. And that is this uh, upcoming Netflix documentary series on the one and only Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Now, Brandon, have you been interviewed for this Netflix project? I have not been interviewed. Okay. Neither have I. Okay. our our emails must have gotten lost uh, by Bill Simmons, but it's probably uh, in the spam uh, spam folder. One person who has been interviewed is Dave Meltzer. He said, in fact, multiple interviews he has done with them with uh, his most recent sit down coming this past Sunday and indicating that the the release date it's it's going to be sooner than people think. And this series this was announced well before the whole scandal hit with Vince McMahon. There were questions of which of whether this series was actually going to see its completion. It will be it's supposed to be a multi-episode series on Vince McMahon. And I mean, really, the only insight we have into it, other than the fact that Bill Simmons is one of the executive producers, WWE is, I'm sure, providing everything in terms of being partners with this uh, agreement. But Meltzer also stating that he has been asked Every conceivable topic when it comes to Vince McMahon. So what will make it into the final set of episodes remains to be determined. But this is probably going to be one of the most focused upon um, pro wrestling related series that we we have seen, given the subject matter and especially with the allegations so fresh over these last 18 months. Will, will this be an, an honest look, whatever we would consider an honest look into the the life and career of Vince McMahon, or will this be, which will it be nearer to, or will it be nearer to a celebration of, wow, what a great businessman. You have to respect Vince. I think that's the question is, is this going to lean itself more towards a sort of journalistic piece? Um, a, that is 
you know, going to challenge the, the Vince McMahon story and address a lot of uncomfortable topics? Or will this be something that more reflects a WWE DVD release um, that becomes more celebratory towards Vince McMahon and actually a, an act of PR in many ways in terms of re rehabilitating the image of Vince McMahon at a time when it's certainly taken significant hits over this last 18 month period. Yeah. If, if there's ever going to be a hagiography from people and talking heads that you're going to interview about a subject, it's Vince McMahon, I think, because he has so much debatable whether, you know, how much power he has now, but he has had historically through the decades so much power. And I think there are so many people in the industry who would be natural interview subjects for a documentary like this who would, who would be, hesitant or have already, you know, manufactured in, in themselves uh, a, a reason to, to have kid gloves on when, when they talk about Vince, um, despite the fact that there are seven known allegations of sexual misconduct against him. Um, and I would say, you know, well, we, if, even if you somehow put that aside, I think that should be a, a major part of any documentary or any look at his career and life at this point, uh, the news that broke two summers ago. Um, but he also, over the last, I don't know, five or 10 or arguably 20 years of his career as head of creative for WWE, he wore away the fan base. He wore away talent relationships to the extent that it created an opportunity for a competitor to exist. And now, you know, assuming they get a decent TV deal, permanently will exist. Yes. And I think certainly you can look within sort of, like there's so much to cover with a Vince McMahon that even if you get to certain topics, the, the depth, uh, that they are going to get into some of these subjects might be limited. And I think that you would expect, you know, some of the, the regular touchstones to get their ample time. Montreal, the Monday Night War, uh, the creation of WrestleMania, all these things are going to have plenty of time dedicated to them. And when it comes to the allegations, I don't think you can do this without addressing it, but to what depth they go into, I, I wouldn't be going into it all that optimistic beyond, um, you know, and certainly you are not going to get anyone within kind of the, the pro wrestling side of things that have worked with Vince McMahon past or present that are going to say anything I think of, um, of consequence towards a Vince McMahon and his character. Yeah. We don't know how many, how many parts it'll be. I believe it, it was disclosed when this was announced. In fact, it was announced on a W earnings call a number of years ago now, uh, by Nick Khan. I think it's going to be a multi-part documentary. We don't know how many parts, obviously. It's a Bill Simmons piece. So you could see it going either way or somewhere in the middle. Bill Simmons, who would, he was not going to weigh in on the, uh, on the Stephen A. Smith or, uh, uh, any of the, the controversies at, at ESPN recently. He's had his own issues exiting ESPN, didn't yeah. he? Actually, he took some shots at, like, indirect shots at uh, Pat McAfee. Did you hear about this? On no, his show, no. He started doing an impression of Pat McAfee and uh, just kind of, like, tongue-in-cheek, like, mocking his uh, his kind of style. And it was it was more interesting uh, to, to see that. Because I think people would look at Bill Simmons and Pat McAfee as kind of – certainly Bill Simmons is going to be most compared to a Pat McAfee in terms of someone that was an outspoken personality while in the – ESPN ecosystem. And yeah, I, I don't know what their, their personal relationship is, but it was interesting to hear. So he left yeah. ESPN in, in a sort of embattled way, didn't he? Bill Simmons did. He had, he had a lot of, um, battles he fought at ESPN. He was critical of Roger Goodell at one point. That's um, right. That 
earned him a suspension. And a lot of people felt that he was, you know, somebody that that was not afraid to kind of call things out in a, in a public way with ESPN and, you know, had, had a big supporter in John Skipper and, you know, a guy that acquired a lot of power in ESPN and was one of the key people behind, behind the 30 for 30 documentary series and kind of created his own, um, Island at ESPN. And at a, at a certain point, it like there, there's a, it's a fascinating culture at ESPN. And when you see all these stories come out, like it really does have a game of Thrones vibe to it without getting too dramatic. That, that's why I heard about that because New York post, I believe Andrew Marchand is reporting that there are advanced talks about the NFL buying a stake in ESPN. And before, I mean, obviously that hasn't happened yet, but before that even happened, ESPN and, and NFL are still TV partners. And, um, you know, I think uh, Roger Goodell made a, made a call to uh, people at ESPN when uh, Bill Simmons was being critical. Yes. Uh, can you, can you imagine ESPN and, uh, the NFL having, having an ownership stake? Uh, what, what, what is journalism? It's, it, it is, uh, it is a question as we, uh, move forward and now leagues getting a, a per- potential, potential minority interest in a, in a network, but I'm sure we will be, uh, discussing ESPN m- many, many weeks to come, but, uh, just kind of wrapping up things on, on the Vince McMahon documentary, uh, series. I mean, are there any, um, I guess, are there any topics that you feel might not be obvious ones that you do see being covered that maybe you, what is the extent that you would think that they would go to? Like, to me, the ultimate would have been like a Rita, Ch- Rita Chatterton, which I feel that is not a name that is going to come up in this. But could I be You don't, you don't think the name Rita Chatterton is going to be mentioned? I would say no. I would no. say no. It all depends on how many parts there are, right? How, how much length we've got to deal with here. Um, I would be interested to hear about his childhood. I think Vince Van striking is somebody who's got some real, some real issues that have, you know, been sprung on him from an early age. And I mean, just that, that Playboy magazine interview from all those years ago oh, yeah. and, and all, all the, the details he sort of talked around there. Um, if he's willing to expand on that, I think that would be interesting to learn about more about his relationship with his father, who, you know, we, we understand he's, he didn't really know until he was 12 years old. Yeah, and and with his stepfather, I mean, just had a horrific right. uh, relationship with. Um, I think that if you read um, um, the, the Ringmaster book, um, that to me was the most fascinating stuff. Was digging into his childhood and sort of informing like the character that this individual would become. And the the childhood part could be, I think, really enlightening to many people. That I mean, I I think anyone that follows Vince McMahon, that's an aspect of him that. Uh, we we know certain bits and pieces, but there's there's a fascinating story to be told there that I, I would hope um, they could go into and they would have the resources to. The caveat here is that this McMahon notoriously he has a horrific memory, and I I just don't know. And at the best of times, I think you're going to get Vince McMahon. That are you even going to get an honest Vince McMahon if he can uh, have you know golden recall of all of these events? I think the idea of to why whenever people would say, man, what a what a book it would be if Vince McMahon ever wrote a book. I'm like, really? Would it be like, yes, there would be fascinating stuff in this. But in terms of just like um, a chronological and honest account of things, no, I don't think it would be all, all that great coming from v- Vince McMahon. I'm sure his right hand men over the years would probably have uh, way more insight. And that would maybe be a little more um, honest than, than a Vince McMahon that's going to have that, I think, credibility issue to some. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a great biography probably to write when he's, you know, 
I don't know, maybe he's no longer with us and there's more people willing to talk and, and things like that. People who are close to him. Unfortunately, some people like Pat Patterson have already passed away. Um, but yeah, I wonder how much of this documentary the, the is. The Kevin Dunn tell all. Are, are we going to get that now? There you go. Um, <laughs> well, Kevin Dunn. Ke- do- Kevin Dunn, the golden parachute story. <laughs> It all started with a car on fire and some videotapes in, the, in, in a trunk. <laughs> that, that, that's got to be the opening, uh, chapter one. Um, this should be a movie. <laughs> but I, like, I wonder how much of the, 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 the very WWE version of history will make its way in, into this documentary. Um, what, what are some of the tropes of the, the very WWE slanted version of history? Um, the territories put themselves out of business in his view. I mean, will we get stuff like that? We're, will we get the term smoke-filled arenas in the smoke-filled arenas really really transformed it from being a regional territorial business to being the global phenomenon that we all know today yeah there there's no one that i think uh was more aghast that it was it was when uh, paul levesque adopted the uh smoke-filled arenas line uh then montreal historian pat laprod who i mean like here's a guy that has done like some of the, the heaviest research when it comes to like montreal history and the attendance that they've drawn at like jerry park and it was just uh fascinating that there was a we, we now have another generation of wwe leaders now that can continue the uh the, the, the smoke filled arenas bit, but I am sure this, I, I'm Nick, sure this Nick Con has talked about, about being at shows where people were throwing batteries. This is the way it was before Vince. Yep. Uh, Nick Con, I'm sure will be, I think Bill, I think Nick Con will be included in, in this documentary series. <sighs> Probably not much. I, I, I could have, could see him definitely being invo- involved. He's, I, I don't know if he was a, an agent for Bill Simmons, but there seems to be some sort of relationship there that yes, he, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm pretty sure he represented him. They at least have a, they obviously have quite yeah. the rapport uh, be- between the two of them. It'll be a fascinating series. It will be dissected every which way. And what is covered will be of interest. What is not covered will also be t- significant uh, on top of it. But it's I-, I do feel like this will have some appeal um, beyond just pro wrestling fans that in terms of one central figure that is professional wrestling for many people on the outside, it is Vince McMahon and having a platform like Netflix. I, I do feel like this will, this will get a ton of attention. And I think WWE, it will also be interesting to see how significantly they promote this. I think they will, because I feel like it is, it is safe to go back in the water when it comes to heavy promotion of Vince McMahon. And this will be the series that I do feel they will sort of, he will no longer be this like, figure we don't speak of anymore it'll be fine to like here is the the godfather of wwe and present him in like sort of this emeritus role now in in wwe like here's the man that created this entire thing and and promote this documentary on tv you mean like on on raw and smackdown i think so i think they will give this this. the full promotional push i don't know how much media vince does to promote this i don't think he's doing an undertaker media tour but um I, I could see maybe some select outlets uh, for Vince to promote. He would this. be welcome here for for a talk. Oh, he would he would be more than welcome to come on Pollock and Thurston. I would yeah. uh, be more than happy to. As is Kevin Dunn, as is uh, George Barrios, uh, Michelle Wilson, um, all all open doors here at Pollock and Thurston. So anyway, that is uh, that is what's going on in the uh, the world of uh, Netflix documentaries. Uh, let's chat about a couple other topics before we uh, we, we bring Josh in here. Where where do you want to go to next, uh, Brandon? There was. An interesting week when it came to uh, pro wrestling well, news. Speaking of streaming, um, do you want to talk about Peacock? I mean, Netflix, by the way, I was just, just thinking while you we were talking, if we were, we, we looked at the real numbers, we know how many homes the major cable networks are in. 
which is at this point like 70 million U.S. homes. Um, there's just about 70 million U.S. Netflix subscribers. Now that doesn't take into consideration password sharing that may be happening between multiple, you know, between single user accounts. I would venture to guess that Netflix is in more homes than any cable network at this point. And that, 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 that trend is only going to continue to go in those, those directions. Um, so you want to talk about how Peacock had what 23 million viewers. Some of them were watching over the air locally, but yeah. the, the majority of them, I think, I don't know if, I don't know that we have detailed breakdowns yet from, NBC PR or from Nielsen. But the estimate is that in the, in the local markets of was it Kansas City and Miami, you're looking at about like maybe like 2 million of those 23 could have been from just your, your local affiliates around around that range. But yes, it's like the previous record for a live U.S. streaming event was 15 million on Amazon. So this greatly exceeded uh, that that prior number uh, for Peacock. And it was interesting because this was one of those examples where, I mean, if you were following the discourse online the week of, so many people were up in arms about this being behind a paywall and having to go to Peacock to watch this event. But when push came to shove, the majority did end up watching this game. It did a gigantic number. And in this copycat industry, you are only going to see further examples of this. The difference being this is the NFL. Not everyone is going to have the same muscle of a of an NFL wildcard game. But I think this is the most success Peacock has experienced in its three years of existence. Yeah, and, and just to put that in some perspective, so there was a that was the Saturday night game, the Chiefs and who are the Chiefs? Dolphins. Dolphins uh, on Peacock. The only way to watch it was Peacock, except for in your, in your local market, you could have watched it on a, on a local affiliate. Um, but so then the Sunday night game, Sunday is probably a better time slot than a Saturday. Uh, we could, we ideally we I'd want to look at last year's Saturday night wild card game, but the Sunday night game between the Packers and the Cowboys, 40 million viewers as the Cowboys self-destructed against the, the, pa- the Packers, I believe the Packers being the first ever seven seed to win a playoff game in this new seven seeded uh, playoff format. I'll take uh, so, word for it. <clears throat> so almost doubling the viewership, probably a better time slot, but, but to, to give it some, some context here. So not a huge audience, um, but still that, that is the most streamed event in U S history uh, in, in terms of a live event. And most importantly, what does it have to do with wrestling? Uh, Peacock, as of last we know, knew, which was in Q3, Comcast reported that they had 28 million subscribers. It's been growing steadily for what that's worth. Still a very unprofitable business, but cable's in decline, so they got to do something. 28 million subscribers. We'll see what they tell us, I mean, by the next quarter report, um, which should be coming up fairly soon for Q4. I imagine they'll give you some information that is after this game because it's the big, big, far bigger number than whatever would have been on December 31st. Um, that's going to mean more reach, more possible watchers, viewers for World Wrestling Entertainment premium live events, including the Royal Rumble, which did have an ad. I imagine you weren't watching in Canada, the Peacock no, broadcast. I no. was. There was at least one Royal Rumble ad during okay. the NFL game um, that I saw with my own eyeballs. Um, so as we've seen, you know, PLE after PLE, Nick Khan will say on those earnings calls, uh, money in the bank, uh, payback, whatever the, the, the name of the show is. This was the most watched show of this name, and they'll give a percentage. Never will you get a viewership number. Oh, no. But you will you will be told this was 20%, 40%, whatever it is, more highly viewed than than the one on the record uh, before it. Um, so I imagine Royal Rumble is going to 
easily break that record because you've got an in- increasing reach here for it's sort of just the inverse of how we always talk about how TV ratings are down. Well, you've there's a, a headwind here because of the decline of cable in the opposite direction. When it comes to streaming viewership, uh, there's a tailwind pushing it up because the reach is increasing over time that this platform is in more and more people's homes and more and more people got practice logging in at least um, on Saturday night. So it should help. Well, at least for for one PLE, and I would think it's going to help the service for who knows how long. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who will cancel right away. There's going to be some people who will keep it and and continue paying the six dollars, whatever it is, per month, and that's going to continue to help the viewership for for those events. I think it's going to be a you know a sizable bump for for the Royal Rumble that it coincides with a time when eh, this is probably going to be a, a bigger Rumble than several past years i would say like in quite a while and you you just add the fact like would you be surprised if peacock has hit from this past weekend hitting like 40 million is that too high of a number you you think of like what they could be as high as this viewership number was not bigger than the number that we knew it was 20 million viewers uh, 23 million viewers we know they already had 28 million subscribers um that's a good question i think I don't know, 35, I wouldn't be surprised by something beyond 35, I guess, just to pick a number would, would be a little bit over my expectations. What yeah, do you think? So, yeah, I, I'm thinking it's in like that 35 to 40 million window. And I, I think guaranteed, like there's a sizable percentage that are, you, you, you will get your people that were adamant about just watching this game and immediately getting rid of it. And then you'll also have sort of that middle that are intending to to delete this, but they're going to keep it for your 30 days or whatever your subscription is. And of that percentage, you're going to have people that will keep Peacock that are that you hopefully reel them in. The problem is like you have something with the NFL that brings in all these people. Like what is there for people to stay on board with? It's not like you have another playoff game coming up soon. You're bringing in specific one specific audience for the NFL is their library enticing enough that it's going to keep people beyond that specific reason they signed up for this? And then they're, they're pushing, look, there's college basketball on here. The, the Olympics in Paris are coming up. Um, according to my notes here, according to this, this chart that I put together, I don't know how long ago, so sometime in the last year or so, the viewership for Royal Rumble last year, 2023, I believe was about, so this is unique accounts watching at least some part live plus same day, 2 million. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty, I mean, think about what Raw does on cable on USA Network. Raw is doing like a million and a half, right? So two, two million accounts. I suppose if we were to convert that like to like to the way that Nielsen counts average minute viewership, you've got an average of more than one person watching per account. Um, and the year before that looks like 1.3 million. And way back in the 2020 Royal Rumble, this is just before the pandemic just before touring stopped 900,000. Um, not sure if that's just us or what that is, but anyway, that that's a benchmark t- 2 million. So whatever they say, the percentage increases, we can do the math, uh, on Royal rumble 2024. And, uh, so you, you, you thought that algebra would be useless and you'd ha- never have any use for algebra when they were teaching you that in school, but, but there we go. We'll be able to figure it out if they say it's up by 30%, 50%, whatever it might be. It's just probably multiply it by 2 million. And you've got it. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, 
Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Well, let's uh, let's bring another voice into the conversation. Our algebra expert representing WrestlingObserver.com, a returning champion here on Pollock and Thurston. He is Josh Nason. Hello, Josh. Hello, Josh. Guys, uh, we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Thank you. The time is now to turn yes. the math around. And I'm glad people, you have me back. Glad to People be everywhere are memorizing the lyrics. Thank you. That's awesome. I, I didn't go into the TV ratings, downward spiral, buy rates plummeting. I could do the whole thing. The uh, I like the very direct question on that, the whole thing, but uh, glad to be back. You know, what has become a, a fun byproduct of that intro is now when there is some kind of business related line in a promo, such as Jeff Hardy citing the demos last week on Rampage, <laughs> they are now sent to me. So if we ever have to redo the intro, I now have material that's just on standby. And uh, Jeff Hardy mentioning the uh, the the demo numbers uh, last Friday, that would certainly make the cut. So kind of like, uh, you know, um, uh, who is a band? Fall Out Boy redid uh, We Didn't Start the Fire. You know, they redid that or did an updated version. Kind of like having like updated versions every year or so, that'd be a, a good thing. Yeah, we will we will see. The the conference calls are always the uh the the endless bucket of inspiration for uh, yeah. for future talks. We'll, we'll see on the TKO side though, as Brandon and I know you know as well. That first TKO one was boring. <laughs> Very boring. So hopefully the second one will be a lot better for sure. Yeah. Nick, Nick Khan not being on these calls, that is a, that, that would be an unfortunate loss of this uh, TKO merger. But just circling back to our conversation, number one, did you watch the Peacock exclusive game on uh, la- last Saturday? And uh, did, do you have any thoughts just in terms of like, is there a trickle down effect with the rumble right around the corner and this being just a gigantic week for Peacock and it's um, just it's, it's relevance to the average sports consumer. Sure. Yeah, I watched a little bit of it. I was on one of those things that uh, people call a date. I actually got out on a Saturday night. It was nice. My wife and I uh, get out for a bit. But we uh, we uh, picked up my daughter from my father-in-law's house or, or in-law's house. And he was watching the game. He's 82. And he was able to figure out how to get to Peacock without asking me at all. Usually I'm wow. the tech guru in the family and all that. So it was pretty impressive there. You know, I... I think there there can be some trickle down. I didn't see enough of the game to know. Was there a lot of uh, rumble plugs at all? Brandon mentioned there, one. There was at least one ad okay. Dur- during an ad break. There was a, a Royal Rumble ad. There might have it might have had more than one spot, but I definitely saw it once. Sure, but it wasn't like a huge, um, like a huge big push or anything like that. That's that's kind of interesting to me. So you know, there can be some sort of trickle down, but it's also the, the case of you know in the past the, the the clicking through on cable these these elusive casual fans or whoever um, that uh, happen to fall upon wrestling. I, you know, it's different when you go on a streaming service because you actually have to go into it. You have to see it, engage with it. And then you also have to be hooked in enough in that time frame so you're actually sticking around for that. I think that's a it's trickier with a, a streaming provider because you have to drill into it rather than just happen to stumble upon it. I mean, there could be some sort of trickle down. I don't, you know, but the fact they didn't make a big like push of it you know, according to what Brandon was saying, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to do great. And you guys are pointing out some numbers beforehand. There's a reason they'll do, it'll do really well, but I don't think, I don't think it's going to be that much of a, 
uh, a, a lake effect, put it that way, from uh, from the game. So when you're looking at um, sort of just the landscape as, as it is sort we, we got the recent uh, predictions for the media landscape uh, this year. We got yes. uh, John Orand and Lightshed uh, pro- providing their insight about Raw. What are what is Josh Nason's official uh, prediction for this year? Is there any is there anyone that kind of is sort of becoming the clear front runner in your mind that makes sense? Or do you think it's it's still a toss up of sort of these these leading contenders that have been mentioned multiple times? I'm going to jump here ahead to 2025, fellas. And oh, I think it. that the front runner for the WWE Network domestic streamer rights is going to be Prime. I don't think Raw is going to go to Prime. I think that they are going to be the ones to get the library and to get the monthly streaming events. That's my prediction because it makes a lot of sense to me um, for a lot of different reasons. And if if you use Prime at all, it kind of makes sense. And I think I think that's going to be... That's going to be the destination there. In terms of, of raw rights, the WB, it's hard to get out of the wrestling bubble and be like, the WBD thing would be a lot of fun from a news perspective, right? Because of all the implications that come out of that. Are they really want to give up the NBA or that little sliver of the NBA after all these years? I don't know. I don't know, man. Like it's that's a, a hard thing to walk away from because then you have to wait another five years, assuming that's what the NBA rights deal is. You have to wait all that time to actually get back in there. I, uh, I, I don't see them doing, I could see being kind of a boring story and, and the raw raw end up going back to uh, NBC universal, or it could go to in FX. I, I'm going to go with the incumbent. I'm just going to say that uh, NBC universal gets raw back and that uh, the AEW sticks around WBD. They also get some NBA rights and that in a couple of years, when these uh, these uh, rights are being shopped around for the for the what I call the network in terms of domestic, that's going to go to Amazon Prime along with the uh, the monthly specials. I think that makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. How do you think about wrestling going to streaming? When I mean, obviously the the BPLEs are already on streaming, but the notion of whether raw or a SmackDown already has a has a future home uh, in USA Network, but if raw were to go to Prime or to any other streamer i guess prime would be the, the the easiest argument because it's in so many homes because so many people have it maybe not necessarily to use the prime video service but because of the shipping discount um so it's in probably like 80 million homes or something like that in the united states um we've seen the the viewership of thursday night football which hasn't been like blow away great but it, it's it's down in total viewership from what fox and the nfl network do, were doing combined on thursday nights in 2021 but the demo is basically equal uh the average demo viewership for Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime Video was slightly higher than what it was last time, 2021, uh, on Fox and the NFL Network. So is that the the question I'm trying to get at is, is there something about the NFL that makes that conversion, makes that that maybe that inconvenience of going through and logging in that that, you know, people will not endure that for other things like WWE? Or is that just should I should I view NFL viewership Comparing NFL viewership to NFL viewership, should I just compare that to itself and look at that as that that is an example of how consumer behavior will convert? Like Raw could get could Raw get the same demo that it gets right now on USA Network, or is the NFL special and we need to put that aside? Well, so what's important to WWE, right? What do they want? And we've taught we told forever smiles, smiles, smiles on faces. Yeah, yes, young viewers. 
right? And what better way to shed old old people and people you don't want than to actually go and and, uh, and go to a, a platform in which it typically favors the young, so to speak, right? They're able to figure these things out and all that stuff. But what is WWE looking for? Looking for exposure. So they with and with the NBC Universal deal, they have exposure on the network with the streaming specials. They have exposure on USA, which reaches you know millions and millions of homes. So they have that. So you got to imagine that most people that watch Raw watch SmackDown now, where there's there's enough there where people aren't going to be like completely in the dark of where a uh, where Raw would go if it was to go to a streaming service, and and that friction there wouldn't be that that tough to find with the. The NFL is kind of a perfect thing, especially a playoff game, because people want to see that result. It's not like a regular season game. I know um, I mean, if was on this show, WrestleNomics, you talked about the kind of that they were a little bit disappointed with the uh, that Saturday night Bills and um, whoever it was a couple of weeks Chargers. ago. Chargers. Bills yeah. and Chargers. But it's a regular season game at this point, right? So playoff game, it's a, it's a, you win and you, you lose and you're out, you win, you move on. There's the betting component as well. People want to see how this turns out, live betting, all that stuff. There's not that element with WWE at all. So it's a, you know, if they were to move to a streaming service, I don't think so many people are kind of concerned about demos and and all this stuff. I don't, I think they're going to be just fine. And, and the, the other thing, it's not like it's a lifetime deal. How much damage can be really done if one of your entities is on a streaming service for five years? Is the company going to go out of business? No, because they're going to get paid for it. They still have this other element with Raw or with, with SmackDown at that point that'll be on uh, USA and the network stream, the stream specials and all that stuff. So say, you know, a year in, it's not really working as well as they would hope, whatever those metrics are. You still can lean on this other property and kind of buoy things for five years until you're like, it really wasn't for us. And at that point, the whole landscape's going to change anyway. So even if it's not working today, it might work five years from now. So I don't know. I think you know, a lot of people worried about, you know, what happens if they go streaming? They're going to be just fine. You know, it, this is, this is where we're at right now. It's a question of money, exposure, and they're so well leveraged because they do well financially now. They have tons of money in the bank and they have this other entity, which already scratches those itches of things that they need. So, you know, somebody's going to go full bore into the streaming thing. Why not them to start with one of these packages? But we'll see. So if you guys are looking at sort of, okay, there's, the NFL and your tier one sports that I think you would you would put, you know, college football, maybe NBA. They're not the NFL, but they're pretty damn close to it. Um, where what tier do you place WWE in? And conversely, like how far down the chain are we looking at for AEW? Because that's to me like I've always been very optimistic of what AEW is eventually going to get with their with their rights renewal but it's it's certainly more of a question mark than it was maybe 12 months ago with mm-hmm. AEW and how things have uh changed in in the industry and where like what what is like there there is going to be like a certain breaking point for some of these cable outlets and what they can offer is AEW going to be in a secure enough area that they are going to get what is meaningful for them to go forward, to reach profitability and have uh, a successful rights renewal. Sure. Yeah. That's a great question. It's one of the big questions of uh, 2024 for sure. It's uh, Josh you know, is going to answer it for us. He's going to sew it all up. Exactly. Right, yeah. Today. 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, and I'm, obviously, you know, a lot of my um, thoughts on this are, are shaped by what you guys say, especially Brandon with some of the numbers. He's talked about some of the, um, you know, projected what he project potential you know, revenues are and things like that, kind of what the value could be and everything. It's interesting because a lot of it comes down to advertising too, right? And that's one of the big reasons you remember that Fox decided not to go with SmackDown and that, uh, one of the, um, the Murdoch sons, uh, Lachlan, my Lachlan, been? yeah, Lachlan, yep. yes. He, uh, essentially said that the advertising revenues just weren't, weren't there. So it, it with AEW, it's kind of like, you know, they, they do pretty consistent ratings, which is good. And they have, you know, hours to fill, which is good, but they don't really, I, I assume, and we don't know the numbers. I assume their advertising uh, revenue is not better than WWE's in terms of rage or anything like that. And we're close. So, yeah, it's. I I think they're going to be fine because they have the numbers to kind of back it up. It just depends if how WBD sees them in the puzzle. You know, do they see them in a little parts of the NBA, little parts of MLB, little parts of NHL, and it's this and kind of these smaller properties that hit all these different groups, or uh, that you know, is it a case where like ah, it's just not worth it? I can't. If they choose to pass on WWE, if it just doesn't work, I can't see them being like, ah, we're good. The question again is how much are they going to get for? an increase i i, I and, do you, and do you see it all going to wbd i'm, I'm pushing yeah. this idea that i could see there's three shows here dynamite collision rampage rampage sure. is the least of all obviously but but maybe these shows get split up and i don't see wbd not renewing at least one of them but maybe i mean if you think about Fox and, and Fox was not into the idea of renewing SmackDown, particularly at an increase when they didn't feel that they were getting the economics out of it through advertising and carriage fees that they wanted. Well, I'll tell you what, per hour, AW's a lot cheaper, won't deliver a same rating, will deliver a lower rating, but it's a lot more cost effective even taking that into account. Yeah. Well, what's the benefit of having multiple partners? You have multiple relationships you build, not just with a decision maker, but all the decision makers around that. And then they go to other networks and you start to kind of build these, these relationships. But yeah, to that point, they shouldn't just have everything in one bucket because right now that's not the trend in sports. Even the NFL has multiple partners because you never know when you're going to need to kind of go to a relationship and, and, leverage that in some way even for a powerhouse like the nfl they should be looking at these different outlets and saying okay uh leadership could change in wbd in five years when this deal is up say they resign and uh i mean look how much has changed in the last five years going back right could be brian roberts in charge of wbd in five years for all we know you you never know so comcast ceo yeah having had a point about relationships too is that you know you can argue that tony has been too loyal in this whole thing when you had Ring of Honor and you brought it to WBD and said, Hey, you, this is, I'm in business with you. You have the first offer. I want to put this on television. They say, no, thank you. And if this, if the CW is knocking on your door, yes, I'm taking that meeting and I'm beginning that relationship. Now we fast forward, didn't go that direction. And you're probably boxed out now with the NXT deal that that's one less uh, suitor for your programming and. Like, I, I don't know how many offers are going to be on the table for AEW programming. That is not Dynamite. CW is going to be one of them. And that, mm-hmm. in theory, unless CW still has an appetite for pro wrestling, is is one less at the table. Yeah, that was very interesting comment that uh, that Tony Khan made was he wanted to hold this back as, as like a card, as like a, he has an ace in the hole. I don't know. I just don't see Ring of Honor as that ace in the hole. I think your main product is your, your ace. That's what you're trying to build. 
I just, uh, I don't see Ring of Honor as the asset that he, he seems to think that it is, or else WBD would have taken it and put it on one of their three billion channels that they own. Why didn't they do that? CW was interested. Like, I, yeah, I don't know how I, yeah. profitable a deal it would have been, but it would have been something. It was like they wanted to talk with them, not vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, Ring of Honor is a, is a rebranded AEW Dark with, with a great backlog of B roll in the form of their, their tape library, which I don't see having a lot of value to a modern streaming service, but it's, it's a nice historical library with a lot of, a lot of tape from talent who are with you now. Mm hmm. But when you have, I mean, look how tough it is for uh, for us to keep to keep up with watching AEW when there's a Ring of Honor show and a pay per view in the same week, right? I mean, it is that's hours upon hours, and I think that's even tough for the hardest of hardcore fans to keep up with. So that was kind of one thing when Ring of Honor came on board. It just how how is this all going to work? There's only so much time that people have to spend in their days and their weeks. And you keep adding more and more and more. I mean, look at this past Saturday night. That didn't have any Ring of Honor on it. And that was still very hard to keep up with. There is going to be a breaking point sometime at some point. I don't know what it's going to be, but you know, it's uh trying to make things different and interesting can be tough, especially when you have one guy running both organizations. You just wait, Josh. We're gonna get weekly battle of the belts. Okay. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> yeah, three three hour dynamite, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The three hour dynamite, I def I, I mentioned it last time I was here. I definitely yes. think that's a that's a thing for sure. I think more, more, um, more. So I, I think that just the fact that there isn't an AEW deal yet makes me lean more towards believing the idea that that the AEW TV shows could be split up between WBD and another partner. I think yes, we're all waiting for NBA rights to be done now, but the fact that there is no deal done now and we've got less than a year done on the deal. I don't know if it's December 31st, 2024 or September 30th. In, in any case, we're under a year now. And if you look at the history of WWE's deals and, and how those cycles went, those, the last two cycles where they had a deal done 18 months in advance and we're under 12 at this point. Um, but to add to like the, the trying to assess the value of what WWE's TV rights are, if you look at what the NXT got and NXT is a show that's improved its ratings in the last year pretty dramatically. Um, nonetheless, it's, I mean, it's getting close to what dynamite is doing. It's not there, but it is really improved its ratings, especially with the demo younger audience. Um, it got a 25, looks like about a $25 million a year deal for those two hours a week. And if you break that down by viewer hour, and I will, I will try to show this on the screen. I, I feel like this is something I'm not gonna be able to explain. You're just gonna have to trust me here. The, the cost per viewer hour for all of the AW's content is about 43 cents per hour based on the viewership that they deliver. Um, and if you look at NXT under their new deal, going from 15 million a year to 25 million a year, they're already at 34 cents per view hour, which is under what AW is currently. So you could look at that. And if that were the only thing you were looking at, you'd be like, how can I justify? I mean, look what other similar properties are getting here. If I was David Zasloff trying to, to make a, uh, you know, a conservative buy case, why, why should I pay much more than what I'm already paying you? Because look at what NXT got. That's, that's defined what the going rate is for, uh, wrestling content that's doing pretty comparable viewership to what you're doing. And especially if you're roping in the collision and the rampage, which deliver lower ratings than, than dynamite, why should I pay you more than, than the 43 cents per viewer hour that I'm already paying you? And the, I guess the, the argument that AEW will have to make is that, no, you should really pay us closer to what SmackDown is getting and closer to whatever raw, which is already at a dollar per viewer hour is getting. Yeah. That that's when you mentioned this a few weeks ago, or maybe this is last month, 
time just is a flat circle when it comes to wrestling news. That is the, I think, a hugely underreported, underappreciated part of this whole thing. Is that NXT deal getting done and financials attached to it? And, and you have the numbers right here. NXT I mean, got a new TV deal. Here's why that's bad news for AEW. Yeah. And, and not like the company's going to go bad, but in terms of like, you know, people think, oh, it's going to go up 2X or something like that. I mean, to your point, that's a, that's a thing that they can point to and be like, look at this, right? And that's, that's a huge, that, that could be, it's such a fascinating thing to see where this turns out. I'm also interested in this, when does their exclusive negotiating window end? Because if, if we're talking that this runs to the end of the year, Tony Khan's going to have time to talk to other partners, right? And if there's a case, I mean, look, the SmackDown deal was done, what, a year prior to, to, to win. It's going to flip over to, yes. um, to, uh, to, uh, USA. So you have, and, to- and I believe Nick disclosed that one was done. I think the SmackDown window closed first and then the raw did, but he, he was clear about that sometime in the spring or summer. Yeah. He was talking like after mania, I think the exclusive window opened and then it was like, yeah, remember the calls after Yeah, I was kind of talking about that. The point being that you need time. You need time to talk to all these different entities. Um, I assume, and I think Brandon, you and I talked about this on, on my show a while ago, who Tony Khan's going to have helping him with this process. If it was the same person they had helping him before, um, which is I, AAM, which is active artist management, which is an agency that he is an investor in. Right. That he helped found, I believe. So, I mean, if he, if he's going to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this all myself, that's one more thing added onto the pile. I can't imagine with something this important, he's going to do this solely himself, but you have to have those, you know, he's been talking kind of a big game with that. I think there's a lot of interested parties and all that. Do you guys think that it's going to go to, to free agency, so to speak, or do you think this is going to be a done deal before the, the window even opens up? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the, I mean, think about what, when do we think this deal ends either? I think Dave is saying, maybe you remember better, Josh, maybe Dave's saying the end of Q3. I, I had heard it's one at one point, the end of Q4. I don't know. It's somewhere around that time. If it's, you know, we're now under a year. I wouldn't be surprised if the, the window opened at the beginning of this year. Um, I mean, I, I, I was under the impression that, that they were still in the exclusive negotiating window not that long ago in December. So it could be that they are now out, out of it, but who knows? That's a, that's a question for a press conference soon. Yes. One that will get a long, uh, drawn out answer. We won't actually get any sort of, uh, something to come up about the Continental Classic, you know, or <laughs> something along, along those lines. Yeah. Um, a story I, I thought was really interesting this week, uh, was, uh, what Ariel Hawani reported on the MMA hour, and that is that the UFC's debut card, which is going to be a fight night on March 2nd in Saudi Arabia, uh, has been postponed. Now, it's not out of the realm of, you know, it does happen every now and then where a UFC event has to be pushed. But this was one that had a $20 million price tag attached to it. And when Ariel explained that pretty much the reason is this card was just not looking to be up to snuff of what they were expecting. And they had not announced a main event yet. The fights that were on there were, they were fights, just Mm -hmm. ordinary fights. And it does show that, yes, this is not just this unlimited ATM of a country that is going to spend money for entertainment and sports. There are some like, objectives that they want out of these cards whether it be uh publicity whether it a uh, buzz uh none of which this card was at least having uh at, at the time that uh we're talking about this so it, j- it just becomes interesting that here is um you know so the first t- time we've seen like some pushback here to like all right 
build us a better card and then come back to the to cash this $20 million check. They're the embodiment of fans that complained when the UFC calendar started going like increasing. Or like, what is this card? What is this card? What is this main event? We were we were powerless to do anything against it. Who knew the Saudi Arabian government was going to be the embodiment of the feelings that we had? But yeah, I mean, it, I almost said good on them, you know, the you know, Saudi Arabian government. But like, good on them for. I mean, they're they're right. They, they're paying this money, and I wonder to an extent. Um, you know, we look at how well the WWE PLEs in Saudi Arabia improved and kind of really became part of canon. You know, like they became more important over the past few years, because look, I mean, they're spending a ton of money on those and they want those to have importance and feel relevant to the storylines and kind of how the, uh, how things work. But yeah, there's a, yeah, you're right. It's not an endless ATM. There's expectations for that money. So I'm glad they pushed back on that because uh, it's, uh, they're saying what a lot of other people don't. And they look, Dana White actually in the company got put in their place. They had to move a show. That never happens ever, 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 unless it's a case of the, uh, Tachi Palace back in the COVID days or, you know, uh, when they had to move shows, the, the John Jones fight way back in the day, right? I mean, they don't ever get put in their place and Dana White loves beating his chest and saying that you're never going to tell me what to do. They got told what to do. That never happens. So you do that for a partner and you do that because there's a ton of money on the line and you want to make your partners happy. And I think this also indicates how important the Saudi Arabian government is to their, uh, their current day and also to their future. Interesting because of all the comments that Ari Emanuel made years ago, you know, giving money back to them and all that stuff and how that, that relationship has changed and, uh, and all that kind of interesting how that works. So th- this was going to be $20 million, which I know for a, a UFC live event gate, UFC's gates are way bigger because ticket prices are way bigger than I'm, I'm comparing to WWE here. But $20 million is a lot of money. It was going to happen what March 2nd, and now it's going to happen in June. So th- there were already fights scheduled for this card. There's already a card yes. in place. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just, it, and then this was Which an I underwhelming card. I guarantee you all those fighters that are preparing for this found out about it through Ariel Hawani's announcement. <laughs> I guarantee you they were not given a heads up by the company in advance. Yeah. Um, and I guess, and this was a, a pretty underwhelming card, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, you, again, it was like they they had not even announced a main event for it. Like it was literally just fights that were thrown t- together. Of like, like that was it. It was the the novelty of UFC being in the country was what they had, and you can see as as Josh, you can see how they are stacking up. Uh, Two ninety nine is an enormous card. Goes without saying with three hundred, but like from a financial standpoint, I was like this card should have been a giant priority. And I think you kind of had that belief of, no, we're just, we're going to export the letters UFC and that's going to fulfill this contract. And I don't think they believe that there would be pushback uh, in terms of show number one being expected to be this blockbuster event. And they're beginning this relationship by stating, no, like we want top level fights. And this, mm-hmm. this does not cut it for, for the check that we are providing. They are in an interesting position, very similar to how AEW was in one sense of last year when you had All Out in August, uh, sorry, All In in August, All Out the next week in Chicago, and then they had the stadium show in, in Queens, Grand Slam, a couple of weeks later when you have a lot of expectations in a short period of time and you have to put some stuff together to, to work. You talk about 299, a lot of people seem to think that 299 is a better card than 300. There's a huge expectation for UFC 300. I think when the Conor McGregor Michael Chandler fight did not 
get scheduled for that show. There was kind of, I had this kind of feeling of like, huh, all right, interesting. Cause you think 300, you think big. And I know Ariel's talked to us before that people are kind of getting their expectations a little bit too high that the show is going to be good, but it's not going to be the, it's not going to have that same feeling like UFC 100 or UFC 200, where just it felt like, you know, the sports world kind of turned their eyes to that event and it made it kind of like, this is what the UFC is all about. It's, uh, there are going to be good fights on that show, but there's not going to be like, the Conor McGregor kind of the over the top thing, which also to me is an occasion something I've been talking about for a while. And, and I think people feel it is that the UFC doesn't really have like breakout stars like they did a couple of years ago when it was the McGregor's, the Lesnar's, the Rousey's, those types, which really just, and maybe we're just lucky to, to, to be in that time when you had all these, these fighters that just caught fire like they did and crossed over. They have McGregor, but McGregor hasn't fought in years, right? I mean, they did, they have, Great fighters, I think, from top to bottom. The sport is in a much better spot in terms of talent from top to bottom. But in terms of crossover stars, they have great fighters. But I don't feel that there's not that crossover. I think Israel Asanya is the closest thing, but he doesn't have he hasn't like fully kind of made it, you know, in terms of recognizability with a general sports fan like an Anderson Silva, GSP, a Lesnar, uh, the McGregor's, those types have and. So yeah, when you have these Saudi shows, you don't really have a, a big star you can put on there to kind of buoy it. I can see why they push back and I can see why people get frustrated and potentially pre get frustrated with US3, UFC 300. But what Dana White's going to say is never judge a fight card before it actually happens. And he's going to point to all these examples in the past, but as a promoter and that's what he does. I guess it must have been Kareem Zidane who uh, was with us in probably November ahead of the last WWE show in Saudi Arabia, who really just buried the the notion that the Saudi government would would accept a UFC fight night card that was not of a higher quality. Uh, and he turned out to be right, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it just, you know, we, we've sort of been taught over the last, what is it, six years that, that WWE has been holding uh, events in Saudi Arabia that these are not just standard pay-per-views. It's Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement. It's the Undertaker appearing when he rarely appears. Uh, it's uh, where's Yokozuna? <laughs> just just, just going to go to Yokozuna. You know, right. there's just some extraordinary things that are happening on these cards, and you know, a standard UFC fight night card, I guess, is not going to cut it. Yeah, and I think that now that we are all these years into, you know, it was it was this month in 2018 they announced the the 10 year deal, and here we are this many years later, and. I mean, in 2018, like you had, I think, some concern about, you know, being in business with this government. And then we went through the Jamal Khashoggi murder. And I mean, they went through some really, really rough, rough backlash. Uh, But here we are. And I think in a way, just the proliferation of boxing fights over there now. Now the UFC is is working with the government and the WWE has all like they have just stuck the course they have made $50 million for every one of these shows. They have normalized these shows. And now they're at a place where the Saudi show comes around. It's just, it's another pay-per-view in the four week cycle between pay-per-views. To me, that is what they were paying for was over time. Um, th- this is where we are at in terms of image enhancement and, and getting the buy-in from, you know, whether it is your, you know, boxing promoters or in this case, WWE. Yeah. I wonder if Vince had to smooth that over since he was the one that made the relationship to begin with. Right. I wonder, you know, I, I just, you have those, those guys that are so close to them like that. I wonder if Vince was the one that kind of had to make it, I'll say make it right, but it was kind of a, a peacemaker for lack of a better phrase 
um, to, to, so the Saudis don't have a bad taste in their mouth. And it's not a good, great way to start a relationship when you feel like, okay, this isn't what we expected. And there's the immediately start with that kind of, you know, suspect feeling, put it that way. But, uh, yeah, there were the, it's the two Vince BFFs go, right there. It's Vince going to go over for, uh, Anthony Joshua and Francis Ngannou in March. I mean, if Taker wants to go, brother, he's going to be there. Those two guys will, uh, will head over new, uh, BFFs. Yeah. We'll get another Vince McMahon media scrum. Oh. <laughs> this will be our insight into Vince McMahon. We'll be, uh, yeah, that, that in the net Netflix series, but yeah, very, just very interesting. The, uh, the, the rationale behind it and, you know, some pushback here from Saudi Arabia on the, uh, UFC front. Um, but let us, uh, let us also touch upon, um, I want to just chat a little bit about this past weekend, because as you mentioned, Josh, there were like dozens of shows going on and thrown into the mix was the reemergence of TNA under those letters. They had two, I would say, pretty successful nights in Las Vegas. They did about, uh, you know, 12 to 1500, give or take. I don't know if uh, Brandon has the, uh, the actual numbers there, but seems to be oh, for, for TNA standards, um, like some of their best business that they have done in years. I would say there was generally a good amount of curiosity of just TNA uh, resurfacing, but where like, this is not 2012 anymore for TNA where they are almost like your default option B. If you're not interested in WWE, right. it's a way more so, crowd. 1600 for hard to kill uh, about 1300 for the snake eyes. Yeah. So, I mean, your second night you had Kazuchika Okada. That's Brussels numbers, by the way. Um, I guess just in a roundabout way, where, what is TNA's placement in in this industry? And is there like upward ability for TNA or are they sort of at a place that this is the area of the food chain that they will occupy? I don't see that much of a difference. Um, I think that I don't want to say this is a last resort, not say this is cryptic, but this is kind of a last resort for them to kind of have their footing in the business. And again, not like they're going to go out of business, but you know, they changed the name of their company again <laughs> and going back to this, this thing, which, uh, you know, depending on what you believe about the reasons for the change about partners overseas and things like that. I don't, I don't really believe that. I just think that they like, we need, we need to change things up. How do we change things up? You can change a set, you can change a ring, you change colors and all this stuff, but can we change kind of the name and go back to, is that worth it? And that name has a lot of history with it, both good and a lot of bad. Again, the Dixie Carter, Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff, Hogan years and things like that. And there's so much negative associated with that, you know, they're, you're going head on into it and saying, let's have it, let's bring back this name and create a new legacy for it. Um, you know, they made bids for Punk and Osprey, depending on how much the actual bids were. So they're at least trying to get out there in the news cycle. The, the, the reason that I don't think there's going to be that much change. And you see this picture, you know, this talent roster right here. For the most part, they've had a lot of this talent for the past year plus, couple of years. Their women's division has been excellent the past couple of years. They brought in, they've done this thing where they're bringing people on short-term deals, four-month, six-month deals, and cycling them in and out, kind of like an old territory system. You know what I mean? Like, and they don't do this with everyone, but some people they do. They have their mainstays. They have their, uh, but they. The, the matches have always, for the most part, been great. There's some comedy, which is kind of like, kind of rolls your eyes out a little bit. But, you know, what promotion doesn't have that these days? The so, occasional murder. Yes, the occasional murder. Yeah, we'll see if those increase. Uh, they've, I mean, what, I think they're 
over two and guys and people being killed and coming back to life. I think they're, you know, they can't seem to keep people. They're hard to kill. I guess you could say. Oh yeah. There you go. There you go. But yeah, I, I don't, you know, it's uh, they have Nick Nemeth. So they're trying some things, but I, I just don't see changing the name all of a sudden having all these people swoop to it. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of a, a little bit of a hockey stick effect kind of up to the right for a little bit. You know, we'll see, we'll see if they start kind of publicizing your know, buy rates uh, and things like that for, um, uh, for hard to kill. I mean, it's a rebranding, but it's a, it's just a, it's a last ditch effort to see if they can maybe make a run at number two, even though that's a pretty big gap. But I, I think they're firm number three, you know, I, I don't, uh, they're, Scott DeMore is really good at what he does. And I think the, the hand he's been given, I just don't see this being a huge change. Um, I, I just don't see any indication why it being different than the last year in terms of in-ring. And again, what are they going to do that's different than all these other options that are out there? That's like, that's such a challenge for all these groups. What are you going to do differently? Not like NWA different, which is a, a completely bad kind of different. What, what are you going to do that's different? What do you, why are you going to, why are people's, uh, Saturday nights and Thursday nights and so on need to be com- committed to watching your product if they've already watched Raw, uh, SmackDown, NXT, Dynamite, Collisions coming up. Uh, you know, what's, and, and what, when you say number three, you, you mean the US, I assume. Like, yeah. Why, why not even say New Japan is number three when I, I can look at for, for one data point? Battle in the Valley in San Jose did 2,100, which is almost, I mean, well, they, they did 1,600 and 1,300. In Las Vegas on two consecutive days, uh, San Jose, Battle in the Valley, New Japan did about twenty one hundred. Mm-hmm. Well, I and mean, they bo- they're both on the same network now. Impact is getting higher viewership, um, but at least in terms of a of a live event, New Japan and what did they do prior to that? Long Beach they did almost three thousand uh, in Washington D.C. They did two thousand one hundred fifty eight. Yeah, I mean, Brandon, does New Japan have uh, Johnny Bravo? I mean, do they have do they have Dirty Dango? I mean, come on, what what are we talking about right here? I mean, no, I, I that's good points. I think, I think it, it's the opposite kind of of what people kind of classify as like the, the glory days of TNA. And yes, they had their their ups, they certainly did. But I think at a time when they had their largest exposure, um, it, it was a lot of stuff that did not ultimately push the brand forward. It it turned off a lot of people, and now. I think the quality of the show has been as consistent as ever. Mm-hmm. I think the booking is generally very good, but I just don't know how much of a mass audience is just tuning in for great booking and, you know, good wrestling that I'm getting across the board from everyone at this point. Right. And I'm sure, and you can hear this in a lot of the interviews that these performers and personnel do that it's sort of like hitting their head against the wall that, man, we've got a great product. We just need more eyes to watch it. And that's why TNA, it feels like this was just a publicity campaign to get eyes on the product. And it's just one that it's just the reality of the situation that, you know, it's it's not a knock against the product. It's just the reality of like how many fans are out there for non-WWE, non-AEW branded professional wrestling. And TNA is like, it's not the days of being able to get a million viewers every week on, on Spike. Yeah. And that's a great aspect too, is around access and a lot of care providers don't have access or it's on a, a tier we have to pay up for that's a little bit of an issue there um and and to brand's point too like i i think it's mostly anecdotal that i don't consider new japan number three and not based on any numbers which probably in the wrong audience to be actually saying that but uh it's just because they don't have like a weekly like a traditional weekly tv product that you can kind of follow 
week to week, um, like you do in some of the, you know, traditional, you know, domestic, uh, companies and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, again, I don't, I don't see any difference. This is an interesting year for them. You know, they took a lot of time off. I think almost too much time off, um, between the close of impact and kind of leading up. It's weird. Like TVs are kind of designed to lead up to a big show. And their their TVs were like best ofs and like the best of TNA from the past. And it was, really wasn't like a huge like up ramp to kind of leading into hard to kill. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I, I mean, the talent's been there. The action's been there. But until they kind of get on a, a bigger um, service or more people can see them or they really give a reason for people to see them, you know, they signed a punk or an Osprey punk, obviously more who would have had a mortgage whole company probably. But that would have been kind of interesting and, and kind of that, that realistically the chance that they would have to make a real, real, real big impact. Otherwise it's, it's a really solid wrestling company, but there's a lot of solid wrestling companies out there and you got to break through. And before I mislead anyone, so I, the, let me know if I'm right here. They haven't produced any new TV or aired any new TV since the middle of, of November. Is that right? So these numbers that I have on the screen here, averaging yeah. 78,000 in, in November, that includes a lot of best of shows and, and reruns. Yep. Or, or I don't know if they do reruns, but best of shows, right? Yes. But if you look back, they, they were doing throughout last year in the spring and summer over 100,000 viewers per mm-hmm. episode, which is substantially bigger than what New Japan is doing in the following hour. Yeah. It's, it, it's interesting, depending on, you know, the, uh, like you look at that October number. So they announced after Bound for Glory, which I believe was the first week in October. Um, that's when they announced the, ch- t- the change to TNA. And that number is not as high as the other numbers. It's kind of interesting, right? You would think like if you had some momentum going, you know, they would have that would kind of have some sort of carryover effect. And, and, you know, to Brandon's point, they did a lot of best ofs and, and kind of lead ins for, um, you know, that up through hard to kill. But even the rest and of November, new content is starting tomorrow night, I think. Yes. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. They're back, yes. back at it. Yeah. And tomorrow, I mean, tomorrow's interesting because it'll be, uh, Osprey versus Josh Alexander. Um, they have the first Nick Nemeth promo. You know, for those people that haven't read the spoilers or even have read the spoilers and want to kind of watch the show. Um, I think tomorrow will be kind of interesting to see what, what happens with that. But yeah, I, I don't expect any, any type of huge difference or anything. Well, we will. How many years do they get out of the TNA branding? When do they move back to Impact? I think, I think they get a good two years out of this. I, I, I'm old enough to remember when NWA and TNA were the same thing. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Those weekly pay-per-views, ten dollars. Yeah, from uh, right. the Nashville Fairgrounds. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think this is this is it until they until they fold up shop, which I don't think will ever be. They're again, they're hard to kill. They say it themselves. But yeah, I think they're TNA till they die, and I think that's the way it's going to be. Let's wrap up, uh, Brandon. Uh, do you have uh, any of the latest viewership figures? Uh, this being a holiday week, we were uh, we were backlogged with uh, with several numbers. I guess did it did any uh, stand out to you? I guess Battle of the Belts we did have its its lowest eighteen to forty nine audience ever, despite what I would say was maybe the most you know sig- one of the most significant matches that they promoted on one of these Battle of the Belts with the street fight with uh, Chris Jericho. But this was a very busy night, uh, wrestling wise and NFL wise too. Yes, it was going against uh, NFL playoff game. Uh, it was the Peacock game, I guess, that it was going against, yeah. right? Saturday night. So anyway, yeah, it, which did what we know, 23 million viewers we talked about earlier. Uh, 400,000 viewers for Collision. 0.10 in the demo, which was followed by Battle of the Belts doing 351,000 viewers. 0.09 in the demo. And that was 
you, you said this was the lowest demo ever for uh for battle of the belts for battle of the belts that's yes. right that's right it was because i have them all listed here don't i yes and at 0.09 it has never been lower than that the total viewership number was lower for the october 2022 uh battle of the belts which is the fourth one for whatever that's worth man these battle of the belts they really uh Look at look at how this thing started. Like there was so clearly like it's, it's, it's no Ric Flair versus Barry Windham in 1986. Well, they tuned that. in and that that January 2022 show. They thought, man, we're going to see Flair Windham all over again. And uh, look at that point two seven that they did for that first Battle of the Belts. And if I'm not mistaken, that was against uh, an NFL game that night too, because we are in January uh, mm-hmm. at that point. But like it I, does tell you, like there was certainly an appetite for these quarterly specials that. Um, people quickly like look just how quickly though those suddenly we're doing a, a 0.12 a 0.10 for these specials and yeah. go, so a big reason for that is there's no title changes ever there's been i think let me do this little last time i think there's two title changes two out of like 24 or something whatever the number of matches and is. they're both for the i think they're both for the tnt title and they both involved sammy guevara and they were like a long time ago. Ever since then, the champions always win every single time. So, what is the di- like? What is from a viewer standpoint? Again, this goes back to what we we're talking about in terms of like how are you different? What is it's just it's just content. There's not there's no there there'll be virtually the percentage show. The data doesn't lie. We can't ignore the math. Can't ignore the data. There's never going to be a title change. They're just matches. And you saw title matches on pay per views. You saw title matches on Dynamite. You're going to see one. Tonight with Samoa Joe and Hook, there's no like, they just exist. So I, I like, this is stuff that kind of drives me crazy with this. Like, be more inventive. Like at this point, you see the numbers, like it exists. Do like make it switch it up and do like a contender series or make some other better word. But it's like the matches so are Tony determined. Tony Khan's contender series. We do uh, yeah. we go to the UFC yes. Apex and really? uh, Tony Khan comes in and he just watches uh, yep. in front of uh, no fans and we just watch Zero some fans. Yeah. Zero fans. No question. Sorry, Brandon. No question about uh, gates or anything like that. We're going to no data, no fans at all. But yeah, to have like a number one contender matches that set up or future dynamite or pay-per-view or something like that, add some stakes to it. Cause the, ch- the title's not changing. You can say like the championship is, uh, is the stake. But if, if historically we've shown there's no way that a title's going to change hand, what, what is the point? You've told your viewers forever for year. I mean, what almost going on two years now? That you're never going to see a title change. This is just, they're just matches. I it just, these are things I see and I'm like, just make it different. Make it matter. Make something we're spending this time watching. Make it different. That's all we're asking. And, and, and clearly from this one forward, from the October 2022 one forward, it's just been added on as an extra hour of that first rampage. And now it's an extra hour of dynamite. Um, but I, I would suggest it's symptomatic of some other things that I think we get an impression of when we hear Tony on media calls and press conferences that, that he's very able to tell you why he cares about it. He's, he's absolutely sold these events to himself, but not in a way that necessarily persuades enough people that it makes a difference in something like viewership. Right. And that could, this could be an asset that they sell off to somebody else. They could brand this like, uh, you know, the NBA is, uh, I've heard somewhere that, you know, could they sell off the in season tournament to a partner? Right. Could TNT just take that if they want to? Mm-hmm. You know, could AEW actually spin off? I, I don't see this as very valuable content, though. This is just no, an extra but, hour of of Rampage or Collision. But could you? Could you? If someone's like, ah, I kind of want Rampage, but not really, or you know, to a CW type, could you package up a Battle of the Belts and a Rampage and give them, you know, specials or something? Just 
yeah, how do you get more kind of people in the mix? Is it an asset that people have uh, versus just a, an hour on the existing partner? I don't know. Again, it would be a great question, and I don't know if we'll get it answered if the if CW has an exclusive or if WWE has an exclusive with CW because I do see CW as like, dude, if they were interested in Ring of Honor, they're interested in just about anything. Like mm-hmm. that is like I would put that at, at the the lowest point of what. AEW has to offer programming wise. And if that's off the table, that's a major coup by WWE. If they got CW off the table, they're getting, you know, a relative increase for it. And, and it takes off someone that we knew was at least interested in Ring of Honor. I don't know how many places would be interested in uh, a battle of the belts or a rampage save for a CW. So that yeah. is that, that's a real interesting one. And I, and I would think like they probably like we do know NWA is on the CW app. Uh, at this point. So, I mean, there's at least the ability for other pro wrestling to exist. Um, but, um, like, are, are they looking for more wrestling? I, I would think like they probably have their fill at this point. It, isn't it crazy that there's been like no announcement about the NWA and CW? I mean, there's a thing out there. They're putting more episodes starting in February, but like there's almost like they can't even mention it. They just like mention it in passing. Like, oh, there's going to be some new episodes on there. But what, what is the relationship? What is it? Like, I, I, there was all this talk about, uh, you know, uh, Billy Corgan and I'm, and I'm so conflicted because Smashing Pumpkins are one of my favorite fa- bands of all time. And I, then I, it's like all this stuff in the wrestling side. It just drives me crazy. But like, what, what is the deal? Wouldn't you think that there'd be some sort of like, Hey, you can get these, on conclusions you that can shook watch the shows re- here, right? I mean, I, it's so strange that there's no, uh, there's no attempt to create buzz around this as a positive. It's just, it's something that exists and they mention a social media post and that's it. Like, is there a deal? Is there anything else? I, I mean, to me, it almost like proves the claims, right. That when all this stuff was going on, that, that, that Sam Hain stunt really cost them something. And I don't know if they were talking NXT anyway or not, but there's, it's, um, it's just oddly, it's oddly quiet when companies cannot wait to tell you who they're streaming with or who they can be on. And this one, they are on a streaming service that I guess has some popularity. I, I don't know. And, but the NWA is like not talking about it and CW is not talking about it. It's like, is there a deal? Is there not like, it's just one of those kind of these, these giant questions that's out there from last year that still isn't answered yet. And it should be because there's programming on there. So what's the deal? Is there a deal? I don't know. It's odd, really odd to me. It's, it's the, the mystery of the, the NWA, which I think typically brings, more questions that then then we have answers for uh in terms of its uh it, it's it, it's deal with cw and also like really what is going to be the appeal of old wrestling episodes going up on your streaming app like i just i, I don't sense that that high of a demand unless you are someone that is just getting your nwa fix on a weekly basis and have to go back and rewatch uh new era old problems episode two of the <laughs> recent season so Anyway, um, any anything else before we uh, we shut things down, Brandon? Anything we did not uh, check off the box? We only get limited I, time with Josh Nason. We got to make it make it worth our time. <laughs> there's there's WrestleMania three discussion we could have, but that's we could we could have that on any given week uh, of Falcon and Thurston. I think we have to just table that one for a, for a future uh, Bix and Span yes. appearance. Yes, uh, yes. You, uh, you might not be aware, Josh. There's a there's this dispute going on about how many people attended WrestleMania three. Oh, I've heard. I've heard about, of course, the, the charts that Brandon has worked on. I've heard of the, yeah, Bix has some opinions and things like that. We're going back to 
1987 to uh, to try to uncover. Here's my bold prediction. Someone yeah. is going to write a book on the WrestleMania 3 attendance figure. It's going to be 93,173 will be the title with an asterisk <laughs> next okay. to it. That's going to be um I will predict that um I I'll, I will predict someone in like the wrestling ecosystem is going to write this book. It's going to happen, I think. Yeah, I think it's an easy ECW press. Yes. Let, yep. Let's get it. Let's get it to market immediately. Exactly. Um, but Josh, it's always great to uh, catch up with you. Do tell us what is going on in Wrestling Observer Land and uh, everything else that is going on uh, from Josh Nason's punch out and everything in between. And who's going to win the Super Bowl and why is it the Buffalo Bills in 2024? Yes, the Buffalo Bills. I do enjoy your uh, both your discussions about the NFL playoffs and the Buffalo Bills and, and so on, even though you both barely watch football, as you both, both kind of mentioned. So kind we, were, of, kind we were glued. We were glued to Peacock. I, I crossed the border to go watch the Peacock game. Wow, Peacock. look at you. That's commitment. That's commitment. Yeah, so obviously uh, WrestlingObserver.com, a website uh, listeners have probably heard of before. Um, I'm a contributing editor there. Of course, our great uh, great website writers and, and editors, uh, the, the team, Joe Courier, uh, Ethan, uh, Ian, and Brian Rose, uh, tremendous team, all of our recappers, all this stuff. I can't put over those guys enough. Of course, Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez in the podcast world, world and all of our other podcasters. I host a podcast there a couple times a month. Uh, of course, the past couple months have been very busy because I've been doing my pro wrestling year in review series and been going month by month and going into uh, basically everything that happened for, again, every single month has its own unique episode with a unique guest. I also do an MMA year in review series, a four part of there. So if people want to kind of go back and, and look at those and listen to those, uh, they're, they're really, I put a lot of work into them and I, I, I really enjoy they turn out. As you can see there on the screen, if you're watching YouTube, uh, I talked to Fritz von Eric, aka Holt McCallany from the Iron Claw. We had a good say, discussion. If you scored Fritz von Eric, we would be. That's true. <laughs> I have more subscribers than Peacock. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm going to save that. I, I have to save that one for the laps fan. I mean, those guys have earned an interview with, uh, with Fritz, zombie Fritz. But yeah, Holt and I did a, uh, a third, I call him Holt because he's my best friend, you know, uh, we did a 30 minute interview. Great guy. Uh, just, uh, an awesome guy. I talked about uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, with him. Uh, that available, that interview is also available on YouTube as well. And, uh, yeah, you can check us out and subscribe and all my podcasts are free, not behind the paywall. So you can listen to many time working on getting some, uh, maybe some older episodes on Spotify, make it a little bit easier for people to listen to. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, kind of all the plugs. I'm also going to be on, um, uh, Jason Powell show, prowrestling.net actually might be out today or tomorrow. We also talk some doing a big media tour, guys. This is, uh, this is great, but, uh, yeah, it's all the plugs for now, I guess. Yes. We, we thank your PR team for, uh, for green lighting the interview here with, uh, with Josh Nason coming here onto Pollock and Thurston. I'm sure we will uh, check in with you uh, in the near future as always, but always great to catch up with you, Josh, and pick your brain about where, where is this pro wrestling industry going? Same here. And hopefully next time with better lighting, my lighting in here is awful. So I need to fix it for next time and not have it be like a hostage situation. So I promise by the next time we talk, I'll have some better lighting and uh, hopefully stuff that does not make me blind, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do these days. All right. You look and, fine. Uh, Oh, uh, I will be back tonight with Wei Ting. We've got Rewinded Dynamite uh, coming your way. And then uh, we are going to be back on Thursday at postwrestlingcafe.com with a special edition of Talk, where, get this, Wei and I, we're going to talk. That is the whole concept. So check that out on Thursday. And then this Sunday, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics to catch uh, Brandon. Is this is this a solo effort on, on Sunday? Will we have uh, extra yes. voices? What are we expecting on Sunday? Planning to be a solo effort. Uh, yes. And there are TV ratings review, uh, reports, the collision report, the, the 
quarter hours for collision and battle of the belts are there. Um, I hope to have raw ratings soon as well. All right. We will see how, how, how raw fared against, uh, the NFL game, the Iowa caucus and yes. uh, the Emmy awards that e- even that, I mean, slipping into, uh, the pro wrestling audience with, a. Uh, the acceptance speech. I, I didn't. I didn't have Kota Bushi being name dropped in an Emmy acceptance speech. <laughs> and Matt my, Cardona, yeah, yeah, on on my bingo card this year. But here we are in a four point three million viewers for the Emmy Awards. Just by the way, I mean, uh, Jesus, that's a dreadful number for the Emmys. I mean, they they should be concerned. Here we are uh, focusing on all these wrestling numbers. I mean, the Emmy Awards. Did you watch Josh? Did your eighty two year old? Uh, uh, father-in-law watched the Emmy Awards? No, he was probably sleeping at uh, at that point. Uh, I think they did better than the Golden Globes, though, right? Golden Globes did a couple billion. Is that right? I think Golden Globes beat the Emmys, I think. Really? Oh, wow. Uh, don't don't quote me on this, uh, anyone out there. I, right. I chat about wrestling, not general entertainment. Aggregators, get to it. On E! Entertainment News, it'll be John Pollock says the Golden Globes destroyed the Emmys. All counts. Golden Globes did 9.4 million viewers, and I think I heard the Emmy Awards did something like 4 million. I'm, I'm oh, wow. Now. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like four point three. If I'm not four point three million, yep. Okay, don't don't ever question Doubled. John Pollock here. Okay, so he <laughs> that's your headline. John Pollock nails it as per usual. Uh, but for Josh Nason, Brandon Thurston, I am John Pollock. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We're back same time next week, Wednesday, three p.m. Eastern. Goodbye.